0: We open the Bible to Matthew chapter 6. In a previous sermon, we looked at the Bible's second record of the giving of the Lord's Prayer in Luke 11. Now, this morning, we look at the first record of the giving of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. So we will read verses 1 through 13. 1 through 13. Matthew chapter 6. Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We now turn to the Heidelberg Catechism, and consider now question and answer 118 and 119. 119 simply quotes the Lord's Prayer, so we won't read it. Simply read question and answer 118. What hath God commanded us to ask of him? All things necessary for soul and body, which Christ our Lord has comprised in that prayer, he himself has taught us. Lord's Day 45 is guiding us through the basics of the Christian's holy art of prayer. It started off with the necessity of prayer, and then taught us the spiritual posture of prayer, truth, humility, and boldness. Now in question and answer 118 and 119, we get to the content of prayer. Here we are given brief instruction about what we are to say to God when our souls are on their knees before his divine majesty. We're given instruction in the content of the God-pleasing prayer. The content of the prayer the child of God raises to Father in the name of Jesus Christ. Answer 117 already pointed us to this content when it spoke of all things that God hath commanded us to ask of him. The content of prayer, therefore, is regulated by the will of God. But now answer 118 gets a little more specific. All things necessary for soul and body. That, in short, is the content of Christian prayer. And it's expansive. Everything that we need, we are to go to God and bring those things before him in supplications with thanksgiving and praise. And so we come to the last part of our introduction to the chief part of thankfulness, the Lord's Prayer. And presently, the Catechism will lead us through each of the six petitions as well as the doxology and the concluding Amen. But before we look at the petitions individually and in greater depth, there is value in studying the Lord's Prayer in its wholeness, in its entirety. The Lord's Prayer as a whole teaches us about prayer and how to pray. And so the sermon this morning is not going to dig into any of the petitions individually, but we're going to look at the the structure and content of this prayer that Jesus gave us to teach us to pray. And we will see that from its very form and order, there's something to be learned. And so our theme is simply the Lord's Prayer. And in looking at the Lord's Prayer, we're going to start with the Lord Himself. You can't understand the Lord's Prayer unless you see it in relation to the Lord who gave it. Then we'll move on to look at his prayer given to us. And then finally, we will see that the function or the use of this prayer in our lives is that it is our pattern for prayer. To learn to pray, to learn to pray more, to learn to pray better, We turn to none other than Jesus Christ himself. Who else should we turn to? After all, Jesus is the perfect man of prayer and the perfect teacher of prayer. He is, in the first place, the perfect man of prayer. The Bible talks about many men and women who prayed. But outstanding among them is Jesus Christ himself. Indeed, nobody in the whole Bible is depicted as praying so frequently, so faithfully, and so fervently as the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Think about what you know of his ministry as revealed in the Gospels. How often Jesus was found in prayer. Jesus began his ministry in prayer. And Jesus ended his ministry in prayer. His public ministry was inaugurated on the banks of the Jordan River where Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. And Luke 3 verse 21 tells us that as the baptismal waters were applied to Jesus, he was doing what? He was praying. And then go all the way to the end of the gospel accounts to the final moment of our Lord's ministry. Where he accomplished the redemption of his people on the cross of Calvary. And we find our Lord praying. Even as the cruel iron spikes were being driven through his hands. Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Out of the deepest darkness of the agonies of hell. Jesus cried out in prayer. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? to his very last words uttered before he gave up the ghost, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. His ministry began in prayer. His ministry ended in prayer. And his whole ministry in between was a ministry of prayer. If any man lived, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. It was our Lord Jesus Christ. We noticed this in our series on the Gospel of Luke, though it wasn't highlighted. We noticed that Jesus, in Luke's portrayal of him, is a man of prayer. And if you go through the Gospel of Luke, you see that very clearly. Just a couple of examples. How often do we read of Jesus retreating into the wilderness or a mountain to pray? Think of what Jesus did. After he had spent hours teaching the people from the prowl of Peter's fishing boat, we read in Luke 5 verse 16 that Jesus withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. In Luke 6, after engaging in a dispute with the Pharisees about what was proper on the Sabbath day, and after healing the man with the withered hand, in verse 12 we read that Jesus went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Right after feeding the 5,000, we read in Luke 9 verse 18 that Jesus was alone praying. Jesus cared deeply for the people. He saw the people as sheep without a shepherd. He spent himself in ministering to the people. But our Lord never failed to take time away to be with God in prayer. Prayer defined Jesus' ministry. Jesus was the perfect man of prayer. Think of other significant junctures in our Lord's ministry. When he set his face toward Jerusalem to go to Jerusalem and to the cross that waited for him there. What did Jesus do? Well, Luke 9 verse 28 tells us he went up into the Mount of Transfiguration to pray. And verse 29 says that as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered. The transfiguration took place while Jesus prayed. And Jesus not only prayed at the significant junctures in his ministry, but he prayed at the ordinary parts and ordinary times in his life before meals. Again, the feeding of the 5,000. Though that was a meal, miraculously prepared, yet the way Jesus began that meal was so ordinary. He gave thanks. He prayed. Jesus, after his resurrection, when he sat with Cleopas and his companion in their house in Emmaus, he blessed the bread and broke it and gave it to them. That is, he gave thanks. He prayed. Jesus prayed for his disciples. Think of his high priestly prayer in John 17, one of the most beautiful prayers ever uttered in the creation. Jesus was the perfect man of prayer. Now before going on, maybe the question arises in our mind and we want to answer it, why? Why was it so important for Jesus to pray? After all, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is, according to his person, the second person of the Holy Trinity. Why must he pray? Why did he pray? How could he pray? And that gets to one of the wonders of the incarnation, that Jesus Christ is God. God the Son In our flesh. He is not only very God. But also very man. And as truly and fully man. He lived a truly and fully human life. Jesus not only had a human body. He had a human soul. He didn't just have biological life. He had spiritual life. He lived our life. As one of us. And that meant he also lived a life of prayer. As a man. He had a human relationship with God as his father. He prayed as the man Jesus Christ. And that is so very important, you understand. Jesus' praying is part of his saving of us. Remember, Jesus' saving work is not only his dying to pay for our sins, atonement. That's a fundamental part of it. But there's also another half. What did Jesus say to John the Baptist on the banks of Jordan? It becometh. For me to fulfill all righteousness. That's the other side of Jesus' saving work. He came to fulfill all righteousness. That is, as our representative, as our head, as our mediator, as our substitute. He came to fulfill God's whole law for us. And that meant not only that Jesus lived a life perfect with regard to the Ten Commandments. But it means that Jesus lived the perfect prayer life. He walked in sweet communion with God in prayer and devotion. That's required of us. And Adam fell. Adam turned his back on God and walked instead in fellowship with the devil. But part of Jesus' saving work is that he walks in sweet communion with God in prayer. He is the perfect man of prayer. And his obedience to the law as well as his perfect prayer life is freely imputed to us in our justification. When we read about Jesus praying, Jesus is saving us. It's part of his perfect life of obedience. That's one aspect of the importance of this that Jesus was the perfect man of prayer. A couple of applications at this point. First, Before we get into Jesus' words of instruction, let's see that we can learn from Jesus' example as the perfect man of prayer. We learn to pray from the best. From the very best. That's what the Lord's prayer is for us. If you're learning a craft, you're an apprentice, learning a craft, perhaps under an electrician or some other skilled craftsman, how do you learn? Yes, you learn by listening to the master of the craft, teach you the principles of the craft, but that's not all there is to learning. When you learn a craft, you need to learn hands-on by watching the master at work, letting the master guide you in the different aspects of that craft and so it is with the christian's holy art of prayer jesus is revealed as the perfect man of prayer in scriptures so that we his disciples students learners may sit at his feet and learn from the master and that's what the lord's prayer is that's why it's such a gift to us no greater means for growth in prayer has ever been given and this simple prayer the Lord's Prayer, we, the students, may sit at the feet of the Master and learn to pray. And in the Scriptures, we can watch the Master at work, so to speak. How he prays, when he prays, where he prays, and take instruction from that. In watching the Master at prayer, Jesus' example also teaches us the importance of regularity in our prayers. And here, Our consciences are smitten, are they not? Jesus was so very regular in his prayer. He walked with God. Even though Jesus was really busy. Who's busier and with weightier matters than Jesus himself? And yet Jesus made the time and space to pray. The wilderness, the mountaintop, that was Jesus' prayer closet. And so often he resorted there. I know that application needed to be pressed upon my soul as I prepared this sermon. The plague of modern life is busy. And so often, though I wouldn't say it with my mouth, the thoughts of my heart amount to this. I've got too much to do to spend time or too much time in prayer. And the example of our Lord gives us instruction here. We never have too much to do. To be much in prayer. As the perfect man of prayer. Jesus therefore is also the perfect teacher of prayer. He is the master. and We see that dynamic when we look back at Luke 11 verse 1. Which we considered before. You remember the occasion for Jesus teaching his disciples the Lord's prayer. It's revealed there. In Matthew 6... We have the Lord's Prayer in its most familiar form, but in Luke 11, verse 1, we read about this, as Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. The disciples, as students, were watching the Master pray, and that was the occasion for their request. Teach us to pray. And that was the occasion for Jesus delivering the Lord's Prayer to the twelve and through them to the church of all ages. They watched Jesus. And they saw that Jesus, just as he taught as one with authority, not like the scribes or Pharisees, so too he prayed like no other man prayed. And as they watched Jesus pray, they were touched with a feeling of their own infirmity in their prayers. And a desire to learn and to grow arose in their hearts. It's not as if the disciples had never prayed before. That's not how you should understand their request. As if they never prayed. They had no clue where to begin. These were men of prayer. One of the disciples, Andrew, we know was a disciple of John the Baptist. And John had taught his disciples how to pray. But their request is this, Lord, teach us to pray better. We feel our weakness, we desire to pray more, we desire to pray better, we want to grow. And thou art the master, the only one to whom we can look for that growth. Teach us to pray. It's a genuine request. Often when we think about the disciples and what the Bible tells us about them, we can focus on their weakness of faith and the folly that they we're so often involved in. But here we see a beautiful picture of weak men of genuine faith who are hungry to pray more and to learn to pray more. Their request is genuine. And in their request to Jesus, we see that true spiritual posture of prayer that we looked at last week. It's a humble request. It comes from a true place in their heart. And yet it is also bold. Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus is the perfect teacher, not only because he is God who knows all, who is perfect, but because he is the perfect man of prayer, man of prayer, who prayed himself and knew how to pray from his own experience. So the scriptures call us to make this petition also, Lord, teach us to pray. And this is not a one time petition, understand. This is a lifelong petition. We are disciples, lifelong learners and followers of Jesus Christ. This is a lifelong petition. Lord, teach us to pray. And as we make that petition, we then turn to the Lord's instructive materials for prayer the Bible, and in particular, the prayer that the Lord Himself. Has given us. And in this too. We see the compassion. Of our Lord. Who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Jesus was not annoyed. By this request of his disciples. Jesus was not annoyed. And short with his disciples. On account of their weakness in prayer. But gladly answered their request. By giving them the prayer. That teaches us to pray. And so it is with us. As we approach the subject of prayer and growth in prayer and learning to pray, we must see the Master as one who is loving and merciful and who understands our infirmities. So that when we go to God with this petition, Lord, teach us to pray. We must be assured by His Word, by His Spirit, He will. He will. It's our lifelong petition. so, in answer, the perfect teacher of prayer gives the perfect model prayer. Now we will look at his prayer. The Lord's prayer. In a very real sense, the greatest prayer ever given. Every word of that prayer is chosen deliberately. Its very form and arrangement, as well as its content, is designed to teach us. And so now in the second point, we're going to have an overview of the Lord's Prayer. We're going to focus on its wholeness and see what its wholeness teaches us about prayer before, in the coming weeks, we look at what its individual parts teach us about prayer. First thing for us to observe is that the Lord's Prayer teaches us what to pray for. And that's the focus of the Catechism. In question and answer 18, we ask the question, What hath God commanded us to ask of Him? And the summary of what we are called to pray for, the content of prayer, is the Lord's Prayer. All things necessary for soul and body, and all of those necessary things, Our Lord Jesus Christ has comprised, he has compressed together in this prayer. So that it is perfect, it is complete, it is comprehensive. Everything we need in six short petitions. That's striking, isn't it? Only six petitions everything we are to pray for, every need we have, is found here in this prayer recorded in Matthew 6. Think about it sometime. Try to come up with some legitimate petition to God that does not fit under one of the six petitions in the Lord's Prayer. You won't be able to do it. Every legitimate and lawful request or need or care or aspect of praise or thanksgiving, absolutely everything that we bring to God in prayer can be comprehended under one of these six petitions. Take thy kingdom come, for example. The needs of the church. Mission work. The preaching of the gospel. The work of the office bearers. The work of believers within the body of Christ. Building one another up with the word. It all falls under that broad heading, thy kingdom come. Each one of the petitions is one content rich statement. And when you dig into those petitions, you find you can keep going deeper and deeper and deeper. It's been said that the Lord's Prayer is a concise summary of the whole gospel. And that is true. Each one of these petitions, there is such richness and depth. And so when we learn to pray these petitions, learn what each of them contains and implies, we will learn to pray as God commands of us. The Lord's Prayer teaches us also the importance of petition in prayer. And that bears emphasizing. Sometimes we may feel that petitions aren't really worthy of God. We're always going to Him and asking Him for things. And now, we have to be careful. Our prayers must not consist exclusively of petitions. And yet, the Lord's Prayer, the majority of it is petition. And that teaches us this. That petition honors God. God wants us to ask of him because that is an expression of our dependence, our trust upon him. It is an expression of our humility, knowing our own neediness and unworthiness. Petitions honor God. But the Lord's Prayer is not only petitionary. In fact, if you look at the six petitions, you will find those other aspects of prayer contained in them. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, as well as supplication and petition. The first petition of the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be thy name, is adoration. It is not only a prayer that God's name may be glorified, but it itself is giving God glory. The fifth petition, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, is first of all a confession. I have debts. It's a confession of sin. And all of the petitions are thankfulness. Remember what we saw when we started Lord's Day 45, that prayer itself is the chief part of thankfulness. Whether that prayer may be classified as a, a prayer of praise, or a prayer of petition, or a prayer of confession, to pray to God genuinely from the heart is an expression of thankfulness for salvation that we have been given in Jesus Christ. The Lord's Prayer is the complete prayer. The complete and perfect prayer. In Six petitions. We learn everything we need to know to pray to God and to grow in our prayer life with our God and Father. Now, in the second place, as we look at the wholeness of the Lord's Prayer, first we saw what it teaches us about content. Now, in the second place, let's see that the Lord's Prayer, as to its order, its arrangement, has something to teach us as well. There are six distinct petitions in the Lord's Prayer. And they're not arranged the way you might arrange your grocery list. You're thinking about what you have to go to the grocery store to buy, and as things come to mind, you write them down. There's no inherent order or logic to it. Perhaps some of you are more organized and you go to the grocery store and you know the store so well that you know what things are going to be in what aisle. So you order your list according to that practical purpose. There's some sort of arrangement there, but the Lord's Prayer is different. It is arranged theologically in order to teach us priority in prayer. The six petitions are divided into two groups of three. The first three petitions. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Those petitions all concern God and his glory. The second group of three petitions. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Those three petitions concern us, our needs, and our greatest need, salvation. But now, the three petitions concerning God and his glory are placed first. And that arrangement teaches us what's most important. What Jesus puts first is first for a reason. It's what's most important. Hallowed be thy name starts off the Lord's Prayer because that is the ultimate purpose for all things that exist. The glory of God And that we must see as the most important thing in our life. The Lord's Prayer instructs us to see it that way. The most important thing for me, and in fact my greatest need, is for God to be glorified. Not unto us, but unto thee be glory given. That's the heart cry of the child of God. In fact, the child of God will not find happiness apart from the glory of God. Man's chief end, the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, and says very rightly, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And glorifying God is, in fact, the most enjoyable activity any human being can engage in. And the Lord's Prayer teaches us, this is first, God's glory And God is then glorified through the coming of his kingdom. The coming of his kingdom which is the realization of his eternal counsel in Jesus Christ. And at the core of his eternal counsel is his own glory. God is pleased to supremely glorify himself in Jesus Christ. Through the salvation of an elect church out of sin and death. To the praise of his glorious grace now and forever. The coming of the kingdom. Is the way that God brings glory to his name. And so we pray hallowed be thy name. And this is how thy name will be hallowed. Through the coming of thy kingdom. Therefore thy kingdom come. And as the king let thy will be done. Thy royal will. For as thy will is done. Thy name is glorified. To put it simply. The Lord's prayer embodies. What Jesus teaches in Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. God first, not me first. And is that not a lifelong lesson we have to keep learning over and over? I know I need to learn that day by day. God first, not me first. God's glory, then my needs. God, then me not me, and God's glory as an afterthought. The first petition and the first three petitions placed first help us unwrap out of ourselves, focus on him. But then comes the second group of three petitions, which concern us, our needs, both for body and for soul. And this order shows that when we pray for our needs, we pray for our needs in submission to the will of God. The third petition is, thy will be done. And that comes right before all of the petitions concerning our needs. And what that teaches us is when we pray, give us this day our daily bread. We add, according to thy will, which is only good. Give us this day our daily bread in so far as it advances thy kingdom give us this day our daily bread in order that it may glorify thy name and if it does not i would rather go out or go without my bread because thy glory is my chief desire and aim the arrangement teaches us that all of our prayers for our needs are subordinate to the will of god which is only Good, But now let's also see that this second group of three petitions recognizes and teaches us the reality and importance of our needs. God takes them seriously. We see Jesus' compassion here. Think about it. Half of the space of the Lord's Prayer is devoted to our needs. A whole half. Three of the six petitions. That's generous, isn't it? What that says is, God cares for his people. And his care is all expansive. He cares about the little things, we might say, as well as the big things. He cares about your body, your physical life, your well-being in this world. He cares for you spiritually. Half of the Lord's prayer is devoted to us and our needs. That shows us the mercy and care of our Father and the importance of our needs to him. And that's encouraging. We mustn't think that because God is first of all concerned with his glory, that that makes him a cruel tyrant, not at all. That's the gods of the heathen. God is first of all concerned with his glory because he must be. He's the Holy One. It would be wrong for him to be concerned with anything else first because he is the God who is worthy of all. But that only magnifies the amazingness of his care for us. That he, the lofty Holy One, So cares for us that he devotes half of the space in the model prayer to your needs and mine. That's our God. There's a reason to pray to him. He tells us, come to me, my children, with the small things as well as the big things. Why start with bread? You notice that too in the second half of the Lord's Prayer. The three petitions concerning our needs. It begins with, give us this day our daily bread, then moves on, forgive us our sins and deliver us from temptation and evil. Why begin with bread? Understand, Jesus is not saying bread is the most important thing. Really, the beating heart of the second half of the Lord's Prayer is the fifth petition. Forgive us our debts, because if we don't have the forgiveness of sins, we have nothing. If we don't have the forgiveness of sins, your bread is a curse. And if you don't have the forgiveness of sins. You will not be delivered from evil. Without the forgiveness of sins. You will continue in your sin. And perish in hell. The beating heart of the second half of the Lord's prayers. The fifth petition. Forgive us our debts. And when our debts are forgiven in Christ. All of the earthly things. Bread that we are given. Comes with God's favor. And when our sins are forgiven for the sake of Christ. God obligates himself to deliver us from all evil. So Jesus' point here is not that bread is most important. Rather, he starts with the most basic thing. And here too, we see the mercy of our Savior. He understands our human frame that we are of the earth, earthy. And our most basic need for life in this world is our bread. Without bread, we have no breath to pray. And so he starts there and he builds from the most basic. To our final deliverance. And that's where the prayer ends. And it ends beautifully. Pointing the eyes of our faith to the final coming of Christ. When we shall at last be delivered from all evil. And so we see that in the second half of the Lord's Prayer. Petitions 4, 5, and 6. Absolutely every need that we have for body and soul. Is comprehensively included. Here in these petitions, the Lord indeed teaches us to pray. In the third place, the Lord's prayer teaches us by means of its simplicity and brevity. Isn't that a striking feature of the Lord's prayer? How simple and brief it is, and yet it's so deep, so complete. It really is the perfect teacher's perfect prayer. It's so short that it's easily memorized. You children know the Lord's Prayer and that's good. The Lord's Prayer ought to be a prayer that is etched in our minds such that it cannot be erased. Its simplicity and brevity allows us easily to retain those six petitions, which are the headings, you might say, of all of the content of prayer. And because of its shortness, because of its brevity, it is easily used, as we will see in a few moments, as a pattern for our prayers. Part of the wisdom of the perfect teacher of prayer is that he gives us a model prayer that is brief and short and yet marvelously comprehensive. It's beautiful in its economy of words. Every word in the Lord's prayer is potent with meaning. Not a single word is wasted. And yet, there's no artificiality or excessive ornament in its language. It is simple, heartfelt, and yet deeply reverent and dignified. And that teaches us. Prayer is not an exercise in eloquence. That doesn't mean we should not try to use words fittingly. Of course we want to. Language conveys meaning. And well-chosen words convey meaning powerfully. We want to pray well and choose our words well. But the point is this. We must not be kept from praying because we think, I'm not eloquent. I'm not a man who's educated in the use of words in writing and composing poetic sentences. That doesn't matter. That's not what God's looking for. He's looking for heartfelt prayer. And heartfelt prayer can use the simplest, most earthy language. That's the Lord's Prayer. There's no ornament here. In fact, its simplicity is its elegance. God does not hear us because we make prayers so beautiful. Like a father, he listens to his children's voice. Even when that voice is garbled and mispronounces words and says things wrong and puts the wrong word in the wrong place, he knows, he understands. And a father even delights in a certain way. When the garbled sentence comes out of his child's mouth, but he knows what the child means. He sees the heart of his child behind that garbled sentence. He sees the heart. So it is with our God. Eloquence is not a prerequisite to prayer. Remember, prayer is simply faith talking. Faith doesn't need human art to express itself. Simple, brief. The Lord's prayer is brief. That means we don't have to feel as though our prayers always have to be long. Often our prayers are short. The mother bringing her children to school offers a one-sentence prayer in her heart and mind for the safety and blessing of her children. And that's a beautiful prayer. It doesn't have to be any more than that. That's part of praying without ceasing. As we walk with God, we send up little prayers throughout the day. Prayer can be short. can be brief. And there are times when a longer prayer is appropriate such as at the dinner table, or congregational prayer. Many minutes and many words are necessary in congregational prayer because together we are bringing the needs of this entire congregation before the throne of grace. The occasion and the purpose of the prayer will determine its length. But the Lord's Prayer teaches us this. Prayer is a simple thing. It doesn't mean it's an easy thing, but it is a simple thing. It's not an exercise in eloquence. It's the outpouring of the believing heart. To Father. Fourth and finally, the Lord's Prayer by its form teaches us. Not only God first, not me first. But the Lord's Prayer teaches us. Not just me, but all of God's people. The point being We are to have a church-wide perspective in our prayers. And that comes out in the use of the plural throughout the Lord's Prayer. If you read the Lord's Prayer, you're not going to find a single I or me, but us, our. And the point is not that we may never use I or me in prayer. It's not that we may never go to God and pray specifically for my personal needs. Read the Psalms. There are tons of psalms in first person. That's an appropriate part of prayer. But the point the Lord's Prayer teaches us is this. In our prayers, both personally and as a family and as a church, we are to think of others. When we enter into the sanctuary of prayer, we don't leave love for the brother at the door. But we pray for one another and the needs of one another. The church prays together for her own, for herself, for the wayward, for the wandering, for the conversion of elect sinners, for the needs of the congregation, for the church, Catholic, and all the rest. Pray together. And so we see that the Lord's perfect prayer has much to teach simply in its wholeness. The perfect teacher of prayer gave us the perfect model prayer for it to be our pattern in prayer. That's the main use and the main intention of our Lord, is that it be used as a pattern. This means it's very appropriate for us to recite the Lord's Prayer as families. That's a good tradition many of us have. We recite the, prayer at the, the Lord's Prayer at the dinner table. And that's good. We ought to do that because in reciting the Lord's Prayer... It inscribes those words more deeply upon our minds and hearts and the minds and hearts of our children and better equips us to use that prayer as a pattern. But now we understand the Lord's Prayer is given us to be a pattern. Not only to recite word for word. Jesus in Matthew 6 verse 9 says, After this manner therefore pray ye. What Jesus is saying is, pray like this. Pray in this way. Use this prayer as the pattern that you follow in formulating your own prayers. This prayer is to be the foundation upon which you build your prayers. The Lord's prayer is not primarily given to us to recite word for word, though that is legitimate and good, but it is given to us to teach us how to make our own prayers from the heart. To God. And that's its use for us. So, to conclude, a couple of ways that we can use the Lord's Prayer as our pattern. The Lord's Prayer is a help in many ways, and it's a help as to the content of our prayers. When we pray in our closet, when we pray at the dinner table, when we pray at the bedside, wherever we pray, it's a guide to content. Sometimes Romans 8 verse 26 is true for us, isn't it? We know not what we should pray as we ought. Our minds are weak. Our attention spans are weak. Sometimes it's hard to think of all the things we need to pray for. And the Lord's Prayer is a tremendous help for that. Keeping those six petitions before our minds, we have the six main categories of what we should pray for. And so the Lord's Prayer gives us the words to speak. It gives us the categories in which to think when we approach prayer and when we pray at the dinner table or pray at a family gathering or pray after having our devotions. In your prayers, you can take the Lord's Prayer and make it your pattern by simply praying through each of the six petitions. Start with the address, Our Father, and you pray, Hallowed be thy name. And then you spend a little time about God's glory. You pray about his kingdom and ask for its coming. His will and all the rest. And simply following that pattern. You will grow in prayer. That's what this prayer is for. Our pattern. By which we learn and grow. The Lord's prayer helps us focus in prayer. Following the Lord's Prayer helps us avoid self-centered prayers. It helps us focus on the God who is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, and who ought to be the Alpha and Omega of our prayers. Just as the Lord's Prayer begins, hallowed be thy name and ends, thine be the kingdom and the glory and the power forever. The Lord's Prayer is help with our spirit in prayer. The Lord's Prayer focuses us on the majesty of God And it puts our souls upon their knees. It helps foster that proper spiritual posture in prayer. Finally, the Lord's Prayer brings it all back to Christ. We wouldn't have this prayer without Christ. We couldn't pray at all without Christ. We could not have any of the things we ask for in the Lord's Prayer without Christ. Without him, there's no forgiveness of sins. Without him, there is no deliverance from evil. Without him, there is no bread accompanied with God's blessing. Without him, we have no place in the kingdom of God. Without him, God's will for our salvation would could not be realized. Without him, we would be lost. But with him, everything we ask for in the Lord's prayer is ours. And we can pray in confidence that Father will hear us for Jesus' sake. Pray as the Lord taught us to pray. Those prayers pierce heaven and enter into the very throne of God. And they reach the ears of our Father through the intercession of Christ our Lord. The perfect man of prayer. Who liveth ever to make intercession for us. Let us all our life long pray confidently. Lord, teach us to pray. Amen. Faithful God and Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for Jesus Christ, the perfect man of prayer, and the perfect teacher of prayer. And we thank Thee for this model prayer He has given us. Grant us grace that we may learn from it, and that as we learn from it, we may desire and indeed pray more and better. Grant also that it may be for us a true pattern for our prayers that by the Spirit of Christ we may daily offer unto thee the sweet sacrifice of thanksgiving. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.